Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. This is Richard Gearhart. And Elizabeth Gearhart. Welcome to Passage to Profit, the show that's all about entrepreneurs and starting your own business and what's happening in the future. Tonight we have David Dietz with us. David is the president and chief investment strategist of Point View Wealth Management, which he founded in 1993. He's also a chartered financial analyst, a certified financial planner, and has practiced law for many years. David is a much sought out resource for the media and has made appearances on Bloomberg, Fox, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the LA Times, I've got more by the way, <laughs> Forbes, US News and World Report, Investors Business Daily, and the Star Ledger. And now iHeart. <laughs> <laughs> and Passage to Profit. So welcome to the show, David. Well, thank you so much, Richard and Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm really looking forward to the show. And so you're an entrepreneur. Tell us about that. So I started my business, which is a registered investment advisor. We work with families and institutions to help them realize their financial goals by managing their investment accounts and also providing holistic financial planning. So all this started uh, back in 1993, and after a decade of practicing law, I wanted to pivot. Well, those were back in my single days, so I really just sucked in my belt, got a one-bedroom apartment, and the living room became my office. So, <laughs> Did you make your bed before the clients <laughs> came in? <I> was <laughs> <laughs> all, 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 all about keeping the costs down. I, I, my, my first mistake, and there were many, many mistakes, is I had my business cards printed up, and I put apartment 62A, Parsippany, New Jersey. Someone said, no. It's sweet 62A. <laughs> You're not working out of a garden apartment. But uh, the, the, there were many days of, of self-doubt. But I can tell you, if you pursue your passion, if people feel that you're genuine. If you spend all your waking hours researching what it is you want to help people with, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And ultimately, you you know, 20 years later, everyone says, I want to be doing what you're doing, which is like a mile and a half commute from work. Um, you're your own boss, other than the 200 clients who are constantly pestering me. <laughs> and then if you're really lucky, then you get invited to a show like this when you're going to have a, when I'm going to enjoy the opportunity to listen to other budding entrepreneurs and their stories and looking forward to that. Great. So you know a lot about the investing world and investments. How do you think is the best way for an entrepreneur to approach an investor if they want funding? Well, certainly you have to step into the shoes, pretend you're the investor. And what is the investor looking for? Remember, any investor could put their money in the bank and get perhaps now the, the, the rich sum of 2% a year. They're looking <laughs> for more than that. They're looking for growth. So you want to paint a picture as to if they're going to get in on the ground floor now, how ultimately they can be part of your undoubted success going forward and what that might look like. But I think a lot of small uh, investors are looking for more. They want to be part of the community. They want to dialogue. They just don't want to give you their cold cash. They want to be part of it and feel like they're part of the community and helping guide you and together have that interesting journey. I would imagine most investors have you know, more traditional investments, too. They have stocks and bonds, and really they're looking to sort of round out their portfolio, maybe try some high-risk investments because, let's face it, investing in an entrepreneurial venture, is there's not a guaranteed return, right? So, so, And then there may be personal reasons, too, for them to invest in companies because they like the product or they like the person that is doing the product or they want to encourage and mentor them, right? So there's really a whole lot of motivations for angel investors. Yeah, absolutely. So when someone might approach you or you approach them, you have to make sure that they're really qualified to invest in a smaller operation. What does that mean? It basically means they can't depend on what you're going to do for them for their day-to-day -day cash flow. In fact, they can't depend on what you're going to do for them for their mad money, their emergency money. They need to repair their house, get a new automobile, stuff like that. So the first thing you need to remind them and you need to keep in mind is that investment is going to be illiquid. Not only will it be illiquid, it's unlikely to pay any kind of dividends or cash flow. And, of course, they got to have a long-term horizon. Nothing gets built in the small business entrepreneurial world in a day, a year, even three years. 
typically, I think people need like a five to seven year outlook before there's going to be an exit, before there's going to be some sort of liquidity event where they can get their money back. You need to keep that in mind when you're talking to someone and never let them fail to forget that. So, David, then do you have to have a plan to sell your company? Is that what a typical exit is, is selling your company? Is there any other thing they would accept besides that? Well, well, certainly they call it a broader, you know, exit strategy. So one way would be to sell the company. Sure. Obviously, if you're really successful, maybe you can take the company public or perhaps you just bring in a deep pocketed partner. So a financial person who can bring money to the table. You haven't left it, but that will be uh, some liquidity that you can then share with your early investors. So there's many ways, but certainly no one wants to think that they're going to carry their investment with you to the grave. And I would say, too, that unlike stocks and bonds where the risk is variable. Investing in a company is probably on the higher end of the risk range, right, when it comes to investments. And so if you're a budding angel investor, you definitely don't want to put in money you can't afford to lose. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's two aspects to it. One is, yes, it's a high-risk investment. Anything new, uh, perhaps unproven, has a higher degree of chance of failure. And so that must be kept in mind by the budding investor and the budding entrepreneur. The other thing, of course, is the amount that you put into it. You can withstand a high-risk investment if it's just a small portion of your overall nest egg. So you always want to make sure that an investor isn't saying, oh, here's my savings that, you know, complete savings for my kids' education in our retirement, I'm going to give it to you. No, if it's, you know, 5%, 10%, that makes a lot more sense. There's, there's life after the investment. So one of the things I think investors want is a piece of your company, right? So how much should you actually give them? Well, you know, that's a great question. So I think it's the balance between you want their money, but you want to keep control. Of course, the more money they give you, the more say they're going to want to have. So I think it's a fine dance. And basically, you need to strike a proper balance where they're um, putting in money that can make a real difference in driving your business forward, but you still maintain the shot. So what are some ways that you could kind of balance that? Perhaps they get a preferred return. So perhaps it could be in the form of debt. Perhaps that could be in the form of preferred stock so that the first money is coming in, you have to pay a certain amount to them to a target before you get anything. But in exchange for that, you ultimately call the shots. Perhaps the only compromise would be a very big decision could be shared with them, perhaps a sale of the company. That's great. So when you're talking about taking on debt and preferred payments, could you say a little bit more about those options? The more certain the return for your investor, the riskier it is for you. So if they're going to loan you money, you know, the problem is, of course, you're going to have probably periodic interest payments and a definite maturity, which you can't play around with. And so if it takes longer for you to reach the promised land in terms of developing your business, that's going to be a big problem. While on the other hand, if you uh, accept equity, the good, the good news is they're sitting tight as long as it takes for the company to reach fruition. The bad news is, of course, when the, the big bucks come in, you're going to be sharing more of that to compensate them for the greater risk they took. We're here with uh, David Dietz, the Chief Investment Strategist at Point View Wealth Management. You're listening to Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt, Passage to Profit, WOR, the voice of New York. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gerhart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And now a little bit about the rest of the show before we continue our very interesting conversation with David Dietz. After that, we're going to be talking with our three entrepreneurs as they pitch their companies. After the pitchers, 
our listeners can go to the Passage to Profit page at GearhartLaw.com. That's spelled G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So when you go to GearhartLaw.com, look for the Passage to Profit page and scroll down to the bottom and you will see the three pitches. You'll see pictures and you can click on one to vote. You can vote for a week, but you only get to vote once. So get your friends to vote and just remember the name of the show by imagining walking down a passage with a huge pot of gold at the end. And may your passage be short. And your profit be huge. (laughs) And if you want to be on the show, you can come to a Passage to Profit meetup in New York and pitch your idea to us. So if you go to the meetup website and look for Passage to Profit, you'll see where you can sign up. It's that simple. It's free for the entrepreneurs to be on the show. All we ask is that you promote the show on your social media. David, welcome back. What do entrepreneurs do when they get the money? How should they spend it? What are some of the things that they should be looking at? Well, as an entrepreneur, and I speak from experience, I started with just a few clients, friends and family, and grew it into a business where we managed hundreds of millions of dollars for hundreds of clients. And people always ask me, well, how did you do it? So it's all about growth. But, you know, you have to look and unwrap that onion, peel back the onion. How do you grow? And I think there's really three things you need to do. One is for any existing business you have, you have to surpass expectations. Whoever you're working with, you want to make sure that then when they walk away, they say, hey, I got more than I expected. Because, you know, the number one rule as an entrepreneur is getting that referral from word of mouth of successful clients. And I just want to reiterate that. I think that's important in any business that you start you have to deliver more value than you receive. And part of the entrepreneurial mindset and the business plan is understanding how to do that because that's what keeps the business growing and that's what keeps the customers coming back and that's what generates referrals. Absolutely. So the question is how, and I always take the the point of view, if I were in their shoes, what would I want or how would I want myself to be treated? So if you're delivering a service that you yourself would buy if you weren't in business yourself, then you're right on the right path. You can speak with sincerity and people can feel your passion. If on the other hand, you're selling them something that, you know, is good for them, but it wouldn't be good for my family. Now, you're pursuing the wrong path. Okay, so now I'm an entrepreneur and I wowed the socks off of an angel investor and she or he is going to come and give me 100 grand, let's say. Now what do I do? I think there's three things to do. One is, again, we just talked about knocking the socks off the existing clients. Second, how can you improve that service? Is there some sort of technology? Is there some sort of add-on to make it even better? But just as importantly, you could have the best mousetrap in the world, but if people don't know about you, don't know it, then it's not going to go anywhere. So it's all about marketing, spreading the word. You can't count on current clients doing enough to tell their backyard neighbors. You need to go out and tell the world, and so you need to spend that money intelligently in that direction, I think. Do you have any advice about how much money somebody should spend on marketing versus other things? I mean, I've heard the 20% rule, that 20% of your funds should go to some sort of marketing. Do you subscribe to that? Well, you know, it really is a question of trial and error. First of all, in the big picture, as an entrepreneur, don't expect to be putting it in your pocket for any time soon. You're playing for the long haul. So I guess I would spend as much money as you feel is delivering results. So you try whether it's the Internet, whether it's the newspaper, whether it's radio like we're doing now. What's getting results? And then ultimately, can you handle all the results you're getting? So, David, I met you at a networking event for the Suburban Chamber of Commerce. Shout out to Summit. And so how important do you think networking and being out in the world is for an entrepreneur? Well, you know, it depends a little bit on what type of service or product you're delivering. Obviously, if something that people can feel and trust, perhaps it's less important. We're doing investment management services, which is all about trust and confidence. And, and so, therefore, I make it my, my business to be out every single night at various community events giving back to the community through nonprofits, talking with people at chamber networking events, because only if they see you, can touch you, talk with you, is there a chance that they could actually seek you out for their service. And that's great. And then other types of services can be marketed through the internet and social media and other types of advertising. So if you have a consumer product, that's going to be something that is you're going to try to position differently. And maybe networking isn't as important. You meet other people that might be able to help with the business or who could turn into potential clients. I suppose if you're 
uh, have a consumer product, then maybe going to a consumer product trade fair or something like that might be worthwhile. But it is going to depend a lot on the specific product that you're using. Well, absolutely. Now, my business is not particularly capital intensive. Other businesses do require capital to grow. And there now you're pursuing two tracks because maybe if it's a consumer product, you're uh, you know doing more internet marketing and so forth. But you always need to stay in touch with the potential investors. And there, like my business, they want to see you in action. They want to shake your hand. They want to hear that elevator pitch so you can never forsake that in person networking experience. What are some of the other things that entrepreneurs need to spend money on? At a certain point, you realize you can't do it all yourself. And so therefore, you need to find a clone. And of course, we all realize as entrepreneurs, no one's as good as we are. But the fact of the matter is we only have 24 hours a day. So you got to find a couple good people. And quite frankly, you need to compensate them. They're taking more risk going with a small business. If they're good, they're going to want to be rewarded for the risk because you can't provide the same benefits a large company can. So invest your money in hiring. It doesn't have to be a 24-7 person. Maybe you can get a consultant that can just provide you a few hours to allow you to leverage your time. So what do you think about using remote people? I mean, we have a couple of remote people at Gearheart Law, a patent attorney and one of our paralegals, and we compensate as well as we can. But I think one of the things that they kind of count as their compensation is the freedom to be wherever they want to be. You know, I think that's a a, a great idea. I think the remote and the part-time world, because in today's age, people can't always do the conventional nine to five commuting to your office. And so there's an untapped group of talent that's all over the country who have lots of skills, but they only have three or four hours and they're maybe they're located in the Sun Belt or somewhere else. And so if you can make the connection with them, and of course, via technology today, it's almost like you're in the same office. It's a virtual office. And in many cases, we're here in the very expensive Northeast. If they're in a lower price area of the country, you can get a bargain. So how do you know when it's time to hire? You always want to be two steps above where you're going to be as what is the great Bobby Orr said, you don't want to skate to where the puck is, but where it's going to be. So it comes back to your, <laughs> it comes back to your business plan and try and come up with a sensible business plan. At a certain point, 12 months from now, perhaps you're growing, you're going to be a third larger. Can you handle that all yourself? So you need to plan for that growth. And that's when you start getting out your business plan and penciling in some hires. I think uh, one of the advantages of using uh, remote employees or contractors, people who can work flexible hours, is that it can help stabilize the organization because you don't always know what the workflow is going to be like. You may have a couple of months that are just fantastic and you need lots of help, but then maybe the season's over now and you need to moderate a little bit. And having that flexibility can help you grow during the fast periods, but it can also help you conserve resources when things aren't so fast. You know, absolutely. Uh, you know, m- most entrepreneurs are like me. We're not into meetings. That's big company stuff. And so even within our office of a dozen people here, we're basically communicating via text and via email. So they, they really could be on the other side of the country. Plus, depending on your product, they may be able to provide extremely good intelligence as to what local conditions are, what sort of products and services that you could offer based on the territory they're in. So there's a lot of advantage to diversifying out your territory and working remotely. I do want to go back a little bit to marketing. I am on your email list and I love getting your emails and you send them out every week or two weeks and they're important financial information. So I do feel like that's a very important marketing tool. Absolutely. It's important because everyone else is doing it. So you need to be front of mind, just like all the competition is. Plus, of course, it's very cost effective with email and such services as constant contact. You can reach a lot of people for just pennies per touch. You know, I just think it's so important to let people know what you're thinking about, what improvements there are in my business, what the market could hold and getting that information out. And you never know when the time will be right for that person who you haven't heard from for a while to say, hey, I need that service. I need that product. Now they got the email. They got the contact information in front of them. You have a good chance of of converting a prospect into a customer or client. 
We've covered business leverage. We've covered marketing. We've covered hiring. What else should entrepreneurs think about spending their money on? Certainly in today's world, there's a lot of people that are not as fortunate as we are. So I think it's important also to give back to the community. So one thing we've done is we're involved with six or seven nonprofits, not just nonprofits that, for the sake of being nonprofits, but causes that we feel very committed to, for example, helping uh, young people get educations, and so therefore we're helping places that provide scholarships. Certainly we have a local hospital, for example, where my kids were born, making sure that hospital stays strong. So consider giving back to people in the community. It doesn't, you know, always have to be a matter of money. You could volunteer for a committee. Board service is a great way to give back at the same time. People get to know who you are. Well, that's great, David. And you're listening to Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart, along with David Dietz on Passage to Profit, WOR, the voice of New York. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Welcome back, entrepreneurs. And now we come to the pitch portion of our show. Each contestant will have a total of eight minutes to make their pitch. The first two minutes, they fly solo. And for that time, they describe their project and put it in the best possible light. The remaining time is for the Inquisition, where they'll be challenged by Richard, Elizabeth, and David to describe their project in greater detail and convince the audience their project is the best. At the end of the program, our listeners will be directed to the Passage to Profit page on the Gearheart Law website where our listeners can vote for the pitch they like the best. So our first pitch is by Kenneth Douglas about Flame. Welcome, Kenneth. Thank you, Elizabeth. I'm the president and CEO of Flame, the Firefighters League of Activities, Mentoring, and Education. For fire departments, public dollars only go but so far. And I created Flame because grant services only serve a small percentage of fire departments nationwide. I created Flame to support career and volunteer departments as a community nonprofit organization that works to promote safety and prevention of community engagement and diversity and inclusion in the fire service and emergency management fields. The reason why I created Flame, it was lack of money. Public dollars only go but so far. I'm a director of the fire department in the city of Orange Township, New Jersey. I retired from Newark Fire Department, and as a director, I see that the public dollars only go but so far, and many departments are like that. You can't do the initiatives that you want to for the community, for the children, for seniors. Um, you're talking about smoke detector campaigns, ADCPR training, supporting sports for kids, education, and then when it comes down to fire safety. I'm trying to bridge the gap as it relates to companies and corporations and other community organizations to donate dollars and monies to organizations like myself to offer to communities so that the community can be more safe than what it is. I believe the fact that these monies are going to be used and will be used for the benefit of communities for having more fire safe community. Hey, awesome, Candid, and thank you so much for what you're doing to uh, our communities. There's nothing more important than fire safety. I would think that Everyone that heard that story would want to contribute and be part of it. What are some of the ways that you're doing to make sure that the community knows what the opportunity is and what the need is? The need is every day in the fire department. We go out in the fire department every day to do something in the schools and to the seniors, but to keep them safe all the time, they need literature. Uh, I asked a couple of people uh, the other day, I said, well, do you know your fire department? They have the fire department give you anything as it relates to keep your home safe. They said no. And I mean, you have some organizations that buy it from third party, but I think every department should be branded in some kind of way that basically they're entrenched in the community that everybody knows who you are and you're always going to get something from this fire department that's going to benefit you 
And they're telling it because they're from there. So when you and I spoke before, you said part of your effort is to get other fire departments involved doing what you're already doing, which is this community outreach. Yes. And so that's what you need the funds for? Yes. More community engagement is one of the proven things that assist fire departments and making sure their community is safe. We can go out into communities and talk to them all day, but some people need some things that's tangible beyond like having a fire safety expo, um, coming to the firehouse, having um, some training, CPR AD training, going to the houses and actually giving them items to keep them fire safe, uh, home safety plans, smoke detectors. And the biggest thing is smoke detectors. We know that some organizations do give them out, but they don't give out CO2 and smoke combination detectors for 10 years. And that's one of the biggest things that I'm advocating for for all townships, not just one township, and volunteer and paid firefighters alike. Because volunteer departments, we all understand that they're not in the firehouse all the time. So, you know, they, some townships, they don't even get to see their firefighters on a regular basis because they're not there. So some of the other townships that's got paid fire departments, they get to see them. But I believe the fact that all fire departments need to do more community engagement and that still constitutes that they need some dollars and monies to do that on um, the proper way so the community can be safe. What are some of your strategies for raising money? Actually, recently, um, we just did a T-shirt fundraiser for breast cancer awareness. We were able to contribute $1,200 towards an organization called Angels uh, New Jersey and Montclair. And it was a very successful fundraiser as far as for that one organization. But it's some things throughout the entire year that we need to do also. That's one thing that we did. I'm just getting started with my organization this year. So is it typical for fire departments to have fundraisers and reach out to the community for money? I think some of the public may think that public dollars is enough to do fire prevention and education. It's really not enough money because if you're talking about educating and giving literature to seniors, uh, school children, just the whole gamut and organizations. You have businesses in town that's actually less educated on even how to be fire safe in their own businesses. I mean, you have the annual inspections, but who's to say you can't go out there and talk to them? As from a firefighter's perspective, opposed to just a fire official or the fire inspector coming out there, and the fire department should know the community. I should know all the businesses in that area, tell them what they're doing wrong, what they can be doing better, so they don't have problems with fire. It just seems like this is sort of a unique initiative in that, as you said, typically people do rely on municipal funds, but they don't realize that that's not enough money to do the job that really should be done. I think this makes all the sense in the world, and I would analogize it to when my kids were in the somewhat public school system. I mean, sure, taxpayer dollars fund the classrooms and the teachers, but there's the field trips, there's the sports teams, there's all sorts of extras, which quite frankly, the taxpayers aren't always able to come up with, but they're so important for a successful educational experience. And I would think the same thing would happen with uh, the fire departments. So, you know, now here's a tough question. Are there any type of metrics that you use or someone says, well, how do I know we're really making a difference? What do you tell them when they ask the tough questions like, I'm going to give you some money, but how will I know it will make a difference? I want them to see it. I want them to see exactly what I'm doing. I hosted a junior public safety academy in City of Orange Township for the last three years. Actually, four years. I'm sorry. And every year, uh, I say it costs several thousands of dollars just to run an academy between 20 to 40 kids. Every year, we teach them their CPR AD certified, which is a cost. Um, they, we we take them on multiple field trips to public safety agencies throughout New Jersey, and also, you know, when to wrap up the summer, we take them to the World Trade Center and the 9/11 Museum. But during that whole time, we teach them the careers of firefighters, police officers, because we join with the um, police department, um, the AD, CPR training, get certified. And also we have them do community uh, service uh, within um, the community to show them exactly what it's not all about just firefighting. So when you and I spoke, I think the biggest point you made, and I don't think we've elucidated it here, is that most people think of the fire department coming after there's a fire. But you're coming before the fire to make the fire not happen, right? Absolutely. But I have a really important question for you. Will a coffee pot left plugged in burn down your house? (laughs) We have that fight all the time. We we turn around from wherever we're driving at least once a month to answer that question in our house. So, Well, everything's possible. I'd say it like this. So if you have a coffee pot still on um, the the hot plate, uh, eventually that that coffee pot brewer or what have you is plastic, right? So it heats up enough, then pretty much plastic might melt. It may be combustible, and you might have a fire near or around your cabinet area, and next thing you know, 
you have your kitchen on fire just from the counter. And how long does that take? Like after it starts to burn the plastic? Well, it really depends. If it has a shutoff on it, of course, it's going to cut off. If it doesn't, I can't really say how long would it take. If it does or it doesn't happen, but it's a possibility that it could. Kenneth Douglas, could you tell us how we can find you, what the name of your website is? Okay, you can find FLAME, the Firefighters League of Activities Mentor and Education, through uh, www.flamegroup.org. There you can see some of the things that we are planning to do. And for those who actually would like to assist us, there is a donation page on the website. And all proceeds and 100% of the monies that's given going towards fire departments, not just through New Jersey, but I plan to expand FLAME throughout the country. That it is a FLAME in every community. Great. Thank you. I hope that corporations and people will step up and realize, as David said, that this is like funding after-school activities for the kids or field trips or what have you. The fire department needs that same kind of support from all of the communities. And that's really great that you started this nonprofit. You're listening to Passage to Profit on WOR 710 with Richard Elizabeth Gearhart and our guest, David Dietz. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, Contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And also our special guest this evening, David Dietz. We're now on to our second pitch. And this evening we're going to be featuring the original My Buddy Towel by Angeline Myers. Angeline, you have two minutes to pitch. Go. Parents can relate to how frustrating it can be when drying your children off after a bath or pool time. One kid wants two towels. The other runs off in a birthday suit without one. I'm Angela Myers, and I have six kids. I created the perfect solution with my product, the patent-pending My Buddy Towel. It's a towel and onesie in one. Just slip on, zip up, and go. No more battling to keep the bath towel from falling off. 100% cotton, super absorbent, mom invented, promotes independence. It's a 2018 Product of the Year Award winner through Baby Maternity Magazine, and my daughter just loves it. She loves to relax while she dries off. There's three designs available in six different sizes. You can order at mybuddytowel.com, $29.99 free shipping code with passage to profit. Ooh. Nice. Our, <laughs> we have a little marketing can... savvy here. <laughs> That's sweet. So, Angeline, how did you come up with the idea for the original My Buddy Towel? Well, like I said, I do have six kids, and one of them always wanted to use three towels on her head, on her shoulders, and wrapped around her legs. And she always insisted. And every time I tried to think, okay, this time she'll just use two. She wasn't going down without a fight with the three towels, and that just made mountains and mountains of laundry for me. And so the towel is all connected together, so it's like one big towel that covers all sorts of different body parts? Yeah, like a sleeper onesie. You slip on zip up and go to sleep. <laughs> this is you slip on, zip up right after a bath and dry off. But they're not just like a onesie. They have cute little hoods on them that make them look like little animals. Right? Yeah, there's three designs available. The pink flamingo, the green frog, and a gray shark. So where did these designs come from then? Well, the frog, because my daughter loved frogs. So that was my first batch of inventory was based on her. So frogs. And then the second one, I wanted something more girly. So I just Came up with the pink flamingo, and sharks are pretty popular for boys. So they all just naturally they just fell naturally into place. Did, you have yes. your, your own little zoo. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, this sounds like a wonderful product. So you're right, though, right in the in the midst of the you know retailing battles that are going on today. So you've got your traditional retail where you go to a store and you pick it up on the counter. But of course, more and more inroads are made by the internet retailers. What are you using in terms of your channels of distributing this product? So when I got my inventory, I went locally to my boutiques in town 
and there was someone interested. So she started carrying them and selling them for me. And then I connected with Shopify. So I have my own website on Shopify and I'm looking into selling on Amazon soon. How many have you sold so far? Um, it's up in the about 250, 300 towels. That's great. When did you start selling them? I got my first batch about one year ago this time, and I started selling them in January of 2018. That's great. What is it that you have in mind now for really pushing the product out there? You're on the radio, right? So that's one good step. But um, what are some of the other things that you're planning to do? Well, I am a solopreneur, and we bootstrapped this this far. And so it would be great to have Disney characters or Major League Sports Team uh, character, My Buddy Towels, Nickelodeon, My Buddy Towels. So at this point, I'm ready to partner and really scale this to the next level. I really think that's a great approach is if you can capitalize on some of the cartoon characters that are already out there and form some partnerships with some other companies. I think that's a that's a great way to promote the product. The product sounds great. Of course, the question is, you know, how is it made? Are you doing this now in your basement or are you outsourcing in China or how does all that work? Good question. I did look in the U.S. and I couldn't find anything that was affordable. So I did turn to Alibaba. It's an app where you can contact manufacturers and I found the right fit. So they are made in China. So what's the price point on one of these? They retail for $29.99. That's a pretty good deal. And do they come in more than one size? Six sizes, 12 to 18 months, 2T, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 10, 12. Are you going to make one my size? <laughs> it will you know, be kind of nice, though. You know, you, yeah, if you went on QVC and you did the uh, the adult size, I mean, <laughs> you might actually, you know, the Snuggie did really well, right? So Yes, and when I first did this, it was to resolve an issue that I was having with my child, you know. I never thought that there would be a whole it would turn into a small business, but it has, and a lot of adults inquire about their sizes. That's a future product for sure. So the beauty of this product is, I mean, everyone who has a family in the United States, well, why stop here? The worldwide could enjoy this product. So what are some of the challenges, what are the strategies to get the word out to everybody? Yeah, I have struggled with the marketing because I am a solopreneur, so I'm doing everything on my own. But I've submitted to a lot of contests. I find great opportunities like this. Word of mouth is great. Uh, contact the local newspapers when I have press releases. Those all sound like great opportunities. Are But you are on social media a lot, too, because that's how you found us, right? Yes. I love Facebook. I'm new to the Instagram and Twitter, but constantly on Facebook. And I think it's really great, too, that you, you came all the way from Oklahoma to New York to be on the show, which is very flattering for us, right? But it also shows a lot of ambition, because if you're an entrepreneur, you really have to go the extra mile, put yourself out there, and you have to take every great opportunity that comes along. So we're really pleased that you joined us here on Passage to Profit. And I think you're setting a great example for entrepreneurs because if you ever hope to have a successful business, you really have to take advantage of every opportunity that comes your way. We truly appreciate that. So where can our listeners find you and their products? And why don't you give us your website one more time? MyBuddyTowel.com, M-Y-B-U-D-D-Y-T-O-W-E-L.com. And it's twenty nine ninety nine with free shipping code Passage to Profit. You can also find me on Facebook and Twitter at MyBuddyTowel. The original My Buddy Towel by Angeline Myers. Thank you very much, Angeline. You're listening to Passage to Profit, so make sure you go to her website. You put in the Passage to Profit code, and you'll get free shipping on your order. And check out the fantastic designs and the cartoon characters, and we look forward to seeing you in Bed Bath & Beyond and Amazon yes. and all of those other places in the future. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt on iHeartRadio with Passage to Profit. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gerhardt Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gerhardt Law 
has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And our guest, David Dietz, on WOR 710. We have come to our final pitch, last but certainly not least. And this is by Michael Zahabian Lufoliate. Welcome. I'm Michael Zahabian, the founder and CEO of Lufoliate. Ever since I was young, I had oily skin and acne in my back, and I have a hard time reaching uh, my entire back to be able to clean my body, uh, my back actually, as well as the rest of my body. So I decided to do something about it. And I wanted to do something that's quick and easy and can apply enough pressure to your back so you can completely clean it and exfoliate. So I created a board that actually contorts your body and is easily attached to the wall of your showers. And then I created, through a patented design, a natural organic loofah that can get attached and you can easily attach it on the board that goes in the shower. And within seconds, you can easily clean and exfoliate your entire back with lufoliate. The board is actually very easily attachable. It has four suction cups that can easily get attached to the wall. And the loofah has Velcro in the back that you can just place it on the board itself. And within second, you can have a clean and massage-like feeling on your back. That sounds really nice. You have a board on the shower, yes, and it's attached with suction cups, and you yes. have a loofah mitt on the yes. other side, a big one, yes. right, about the, the size, the of, size your of your entire back. And then you move you just up and down, up and down, or up, left or right, or left to right, yes. and that's the way it works. So it sounds like fun. Within, <laughs> I'm telling you, within ten seconds, if you feel your back after you wash you will see the difference between before and after. On the loofah, can, I guess it's interchangeable, so you could put special soaps on there or lotions or anything yes, you want, right? you can apply whatever body wash that you normally use, like put it on a spray bottle, and you can spray into the loofah. And actually, the way I have made it, it's very strong. It's actually machine washable. What I like about your product is, I mean, what shower, bathroom couldn't use that? What person couldn't enjoy that? So really, how are you getting the message out? I would think that a good video would uh, instantly deliver to people exactly what you mean. Actually, I have. I have made a video, but the last couple of years I've been overseas trying to create the design and actually make the molds and do the production and the packaging and the shipping. So I just arrived a week ago from overseas because I lived there a couple of years just to make sure everything is done. And um, right now I'm going to work on marketing part of it. It's actually shipped to Amazon right now. It's available on Amazon and I have a website, lufoliate.com, that people can purchase. So can you spell that? Sure. Lufoliate, L-U-F-F-O-L-I-A-T-E. And the reason I came up with this name, because I was thinking about lufa and I was thinking about exfoliate, so I put it together, and I made lufoliate. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Very clever. I bet that was easy to trademark, too. Actually, <laughs> I did. It's not so easy to trademark. <laughs> yeah. And everybody loves the name. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about trademarking, I mean... Talk a little bit the, about the importance of the investment that one should have to make sure that no one can copy their product or their name. Yes, and uh, for this product, I have made other product, product also. For, for this product, I have a design pattern and utility pattern and trademark. And, of course, everything costs, uh, and I have uh, put all the money myself at this point. But right now, I have to start learning and marketing my product. So how much inventory do you have? Uh, I have made thousands, and uh, just recently, instead of one size, I have created three different sizes. So people like uh, children or smaller body or people who don't have that much room in their shower, they can choose what size fits them best. 
That sounds really great. Yes. So you have this on Amazon. Yes, I do. Are you getting traction there? Well, it's been there maybe uh, over a month. I have sold a couple of hundred, but I haven't really advertised. That's really great. Have you had any customer feedback? Because, frankly, I'm dying to try one of these things. Actually, there is a customer feedback, and you can check it yourself and read it, and uh, just been all positive. Sounds like there's a lot of investment required. You, You know, you went overseas. You made the designs. You've invested in the patent protection. Um, yes. How are you financing your operations? Well, I had a business before, and I had some uh, capital, and uh, I just decided just take a plane and go to China and just learn where to go, what to do, how to design, how to make molds, and how to make the inventory and the production. So it took me about a year and a half. So did you, when you were over there, we had a, another client who gets things made in China. Sure. Did you have to look at a bunch of different factories to find the right one? Um, actually, yes. I went to different factories because the prices differs. So I knew some people in China that helped me find the right people. And I have to tell you, I've been extremely lucky of not making mistakes or having bad experiences. So for me, everything went very well. Yeah, I've heard that, that when you go to other countries to manufacture, you really need an agent who speaks their language, who lives in that country, who knows everybody, right? Yeah, 100% true. You need to do that. So I admire you. I mean, you're, you're all in here. You've I'm taken your in. nest egg and yes. you've invested it. Yes. But seriously, what keeps you up at night? What do you worry about most? What I worry about most, whether this product will be successful and take off or not. And I know that has to do with marketing, which I haven't started it because I just got back. And I have to learn how to market. And you can have a great product. If people don't know about it, it's not going anywhere. So I have to learn how to do that and market well. Now, is that something you're going to try and learn yourself? Are you going to take in a partner or get an agency? What, what, how are you going I'm, to do the marketing? I'm open to all ideas. Most, uh, mostly so far, I was concerned about making the product and uh, finishing it and going the, to the end, which I did. And the same way I learned how to do that, I'm sure I can learn how to market too, but uh, I would rather hire somebody who's already experienced than learn everything from the beginning. Well, it sounds like a great product and a great oh, idea. I love it. And part of it is is that there's nothing else really like it. It, it out doesn't there. exist, and also it's natural. It really works well. Have yes. you ever thought about going on QVC or HSN, one of the home shopping networks, or some sort of infomercial approach? Yes, I think infomercial, for example, would be a great idea because if people see how easy it is to use and how quickly you can get cleaned within seconds and exfoliated. I think people will definitely want to buy one. And uh, I will definitely also go to places like Bed Bath & Beyond or Target or other people to try to get them involved. You know, I always remember the story of Arnold Palmer where he used to mix iced tea and lemonade together. And people said, oh, I'll have an Arnold Palmer. He got the idea to produce that drink, but, you know, he didn't produce himself. He he gave the rights to his name to another company who had all the headache. I'm just wondering, have you ever considered perhaps partnering with a larger company, you know, like a Home Depot or a Bed Bath & Beyond or Newell Rubbermaid to let them market your product and then you just take a royalty? That's one of the options. I'm open to all the options. So after trying different avenues, I'm sure something will go easier than others and I'm willing to take any path. One of the things I love about this product is that you can take these off and throw them in the washing machine and then put them back on. Very so, easy. Yeah, so you really don't have to worry about any buildup of any germs or mold or anything. So no. anyway, this has been Michael Sahavian with Lufoliate, and you can find them on his website, and you can pick the size that's right for your body. You are listening to Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart with our guest David Dietz on WOR 710. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearhart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearhartLaw.com. At Gearhart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, 
contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. So we've come to the end of our presentations this evening, and they were all fantastic. Yes, they certainly were. We had another variety of things, which we love having, because if you don't like one thing, you like the other. (laughs) (laughs) And remember, everyone, to go to the Passage to Profit page at GearheartLaw.com, G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W, and vote for your favorite project. So to summarize, we had Kenneth Douglas with his nonprofit Flame spreading the word about how to prevent fires and get to know your fire department. Angeline Myers pitched the original My Buddy, a wearable towel, only for kids right now, but <laughs> we hope we can work on that with her. Um, and finally, Michael Zahabian, who pitched the Lufoliate and really impressed us all. All of you really impressed us all. So now Google Passage to Profit and make your choice. Remember, you can only vote once and you have until next Sunday at 8 p.m. to vote. This evening's pitch contestants will receive a Passage to Profit t-shirt and the best overall vote getter for the month will receive an Amazon gift card. Before we sign off, thanks to everyone who was here today. I just love hearing these pitches each week. And if I could vote, I'm not sure that I could even pick a favorite. And We feel like we're seeing the future, things that are progressing and moving society forward. And that is what we love about being in this space. That's absolutely correct, Elizabeth. And I completely and totally agree. The pitches were absolutely wonderful. And I want to say thanks again to our guest, David Dietz, who took us over the top really in so many ways. David, do you have any thoughts for our listeners before we go? Well, I thought all three of our entrepreneurs were winners, so I'd vote for all three. But I want to share just two takeaways that I got from listening to these fine people. One is commitment and passion. Any would-be entrepreneur, don't expect a nine-to-five job. And you can just hear in their voice, and and I was able to sit next to them. This is a 24-7 to have their dreams fulfilled in these really interesting ventures. Second takeaway is who couldn't use greater fire protection? Who doesn't have kids who would enjoy the bathhouse? Who doesn't take showers? So the point is, everyone can use these products, but how are you going to get the word out? So never forget how important marketing communications always is to be successful in your venture. How do you think is the best way for an entrepreneur to approach an investor if they want funding? Well, certainly you have to step into the shoes, pretend you're the investor. And what is the investor looking for? Remember, any investor could put their money in the bank and get perhaps now the 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 rich sum of 2% a year. They're looking <laughs> for more than that. They're looking for growth. So you want to paint a picture as to if they're going to get in on the ground floor now, how ultimately they can be part of your undoubted success going forward and what that might look like. But I think a lot of small uh, investors are looking for more. They want to be part of the community. They want to dialogue. They just don't want to give you their cold cash. They want to be part of it and feel like they're part of the community and helping guide you and together have that interesting journey. I would imagine most investors have you know, more traditional investments, too. They have stocks and bonds, and really they're looking to sort of round out their portfolio, maybe try some high-risk investments because, let's face it, investing in an entrepreneurial venture, is there's not a guaranteed return, right? So, so, And then there may be personal reasons, too, for them to invest in companies because they like the product or they like the person that is doing the product or they want to encourage and mentor them, right? So there's really a whole lot of motivations for angel investors. Yeah, absolutely. So when someone might approach you or you approach them, you have to make sure that they're really qualified to invest in a smaller operation. What does that mean? It basically means they can't depend on what you're going to do for them for their day-to-day cash flow. In fact, they can't depend on what you're going to do for them for their mad money, their emergency money. They need to repair their house, get a new automobile, stuff like that. So the first thing you need to remind them and you need to keep in mind is that investment is going to be illiquid. Not only will it be illiquid, it's unlikely to pay any kind of dividends or cash flow. And, of course, they got to have a long-term horizon. Nothing gets built in the small business entrepreneurial world in a day, a year, even three years. 
typically, I think people need like a five to seven year outlook before there's going to be an exit, before there's going to be some sort of liquidity event where they can get their money back. You need to keep that in mind when you're talking to someone and never let them fail to forget that. And I think they're doing a good job starting off with that by coming on the show. So, But it's going to take a lot more than just one radio show, as you all know. And we'd like to thank our media maven, Kenya Gibson, our producer, Noah Fleischman, our engineer, Rob. And don't forget to join us next week for another excellent speaker and another round of pitches. And you can start thinking about what your pitch will be. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart on iHeartRadio with Passage to Profit. WOR 710, the voice of New York.